Well, I had hoped to be able to spend some time uh, with some other principles that are in the book, One Home Under God. But I'm going to deal this morning with the principle of receiving. I would commend to you the book so that you might read what I had hoped to have time to deal with, that is the submission of the woman to the husband, the love of the husband for the wife, both of these qualified by the little word A-S, as, which means in like manner. There's a chapter entitled, Wives Submit Husbands Love, and I'll just have to let you read the chapter. And then I had hoped to be able to deal with the role or the pattern of the wife and the role of the husband as he is the protector and provider and priest and prophet and professor and partner and pal. But I'll have to commend that chapter to you as well because I'm going to go ahead with what I consider to be the most vital principle in marriage, the principle of receiving. In fact, it is the most vital principle in life. As I began to discover it, and I'm not pretending that I'm the only one who's discovered it, but as I began to discover it, I began to look around to see that the life of every person is controlled either by a spirit of reception or a spirit of rejection. The greatest problem, and I've begun to counsel people on the basis that most of them suffer, who have problems, deep problems, most of them suffer from a problem of rejection, may be feared, may be supposed, and may be real. But I've run into many, many people who, uh, in early years or somewhere in their lives, suffered rejection at the hands of somebody else, or what they thought was rejection, or they listened to a devil's lie, and they took on a spirit or a stronghold of rejection. They do not receive themselves, therefore they do not receive others. They do not receive circumstances. They do not receive graciously or gracefully the will of God. And so they're living in a stronghold of rejection. Now, I'm going to share with you simply how I, how I came to find it, how I came to see it and just enlarge on it, sort of bear testimony. And then I'm going just to allow you to ask God, now what ought I to do in the light of now what I know? I read yesterday uh, the verses, uh, in uh, the second chapter of the book of Genesis. And I uh, just want to take a minute to review. You remember that there were six goods in the uh, book of, uh, in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. God saw the light that it was good. In verse 10, that was verse 4. In verse 10, God saw that the dry land was good and the seas were good. And verse 8, uh, verse 12, he saw that the trees and the herb yielding uh, seed all of this was good. And in verse 18, God saw that the uh, night was good and the day was good. In verse 21, 
all the living creatures, the whales and everything on the earth, and all that was good. Everything that creepeth upon the earth, that was good. Everything was good. Then in the second chapter, verse 18, we run into a negative. God said, it is not good. It's not good that man be left alone. So he said, I'm going to create for him something perfectly suited to his needs. And then God began to form out of the ground every beast of the field. Now, this is the specific narrative of creation. You don't have two creations. You have two creation coverages or two creation narratives. One of them a general narrative, the other a specific narrative. In the general narrative, in the first chapter, you have God creating male and female. In the specific narrative, you have God creating man, putting him in the garden, speaking to him in the garden, telling him he shouldn't eat of one tree, can't eat of the other, and all the other trees. And then he sees that it's not good that man be left alone and creates for him out of his, uh, out of his side in the first uh, case of surgery, in the first uh, anesthesia administered. And uh, he takes from his side a rib, and with that rib he fashions that help meat he's talking about and gives him to Adam. Now, it can be a little amusing if you want to feature it so, that he said, I'm going to make a help meat for you. And then God began to form out of the ground every kind of beast and every kind of animal you can think of. And Adam is uh, given the task of naming them. And uh, you can be sure that in the back of his mind, Adam's thinking about what God promised. And uh, everything he runs by Adam, uh, Adam must look at it as a prospective uh, help meat. And you, that could get awfully amusing as he runs by all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, or at the end of that, that time, Adam, having called every living creature, every fowl of the air, and all the cattle and every beast of the field, for Adam, it said, there was not found a help meet for him. There was not found something perfectly suited to his need. And uh, then is when the Lord administered the anesthesia and performed the surgery and uh, uh, took out a rib, made the woman, gave that woman back to man. Now, here's the historic moment. Probably no more historic moment in the time in, in all civilization. More historic than, uh, than when man planted his foot on the moon first time. And he had practiced all along what he was going to say. It would be remembered by everybody but me. I forgot what he said. What did he say? One small step or something. Anyway, it was important, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, at a historic moment, at a historic moment, you're supposed to say something historic. And here was the first marriage. The first woman, the first man, looking upon the first woman for the first time. And Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And Lord, tell you the truth, I, I just... Uh, in reading that, and I began to write, and I, I just I, I just said, Adam, I believe you blew it, son. I believe you could have beat that if you'd have thought about it a little, but at least a little more romantic. And I said, Lord, I really want to know what Adam meant when he said this. And I realized that within there is a great mystery and, and uh, the, the possibility of a tremendous principle. And... Uh, I began to look, and I began to look at the versions. I believe it's the Living Bible that says, uh, this is it. And I, I think that gets pretty close to it. Uh, in fact, I would preface it by uh, Adam uh, saying, wow, this is it. And then he said, this is bone of my bone. This is part and parcel of me. 
This is the means by which I will be completed. She is the rest of me. She was taken from me to be given back to me, to be the completion of me. And he was recognizing and, and uh, acknowledging his reception of, of woman as a gift from God, perfectly suited to his need. And so he was doing several things. He was acknowledging reception. He was declaring his reception. He was acknowledging responsibility. This is now bone of my bone. She's worth leaving everything for, leaving father and mother, leaving the security of a home and going out and spending the rest of my life with. She will be the means whereby this not good becomes very good. And you remember, there were six goods, one not good, along came woman to be man's completion, and there was a very good, that ought to help your ego this morning, ladies. It was just good before you got here. In fact, it got to be not good before you came. And then when God brought you on the scene, it was extremely good, at least for a while. And uh, and your capability is to render a not good situation very good. Now, I began to see that that what woman became to man was to be contingent on his having received her. And so he acknowledged reception. He said, Lord, this is absolutely perfect. I receive her as a gift from you. I thank you very much that in her I'm complete. She's the she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. If I didn't have her, I wouldn't have all my bones. I wouldn't have all my flesh. I wouldn't be complete without her. Now, this is the beginning of the development of a tremendous principle. Now, I want to tell you that had Adam had a look at her and said, Lord, I really think I could make some improvements, and if you'll give me time, I believe I will, she would not have been free to become to him all that God ordained her to be. In fact, there would have been a situation of incompleteness. Now, I want to tell you today, I'm convinced that many young people are developing patterns of rejection because there is a spirit of rejection between their daddies and their mamas, between dad and mom. The reason I know this is when we receive something as a gift from God, we receive it as a perfect gift. And when we receive it as a perfect gift, that gift is released to be everything to us that it was meant to be. But had he said of her, now, Lord, I believe I could make some improvements. She would not have been free to become to him all that God ordained her to be. Now, I'm going to be asking you some very serious questions. I'm going to be asking you if your life is filled with a spirit of reception or a spirit of rejection. And I want to tell you that, that when the devil comes in, he wants us to reject. He wants us to become bitter over circumstances. He wants us to reject people. He wants us to reject a husband or a wife. He wants us to reject children. Now, this doesn't mean a casting off of responsibility, but the failure to unqualifiedly receive. And I began to consider. Now, you know, I believe we have something here, and I began to write about it and began to pray about it and began to look through the Bible for the principle of receiving. And I found out that when Jesus came, the Bible says that he came to his own, and his own received him not. 
and all that he came to be he couldn't be because he wasn't received, but it did go on to say that as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the sons of God. And then in Romans 15, 7, I found another verse, almost by accident seemingly, where Paul says, Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ hath received you to the glory of God. And I began to see how that into a world of rejection came Jesus Christ with the authority on behalf of God to receive you and me. And as we received him, he made us accepted in the beloved. And so I began to think about the marriage relationship. And as I thought about it and began to write a few things down, I, I noticed that God sends me into experiences just about the time I need to get into them. I don't particularly enjoy them, but they seem to confirm the truth. And so I had an interruption one morning right in the middle of writing the book. A woman came early in the morning, just about the time I'd gotten to the office. She looked at, she just looked to sight. Her eyes were almost swollen shut. Looked like she'd been in a fight and, and uh, hadn't slept all night. And she related to me, how, and a fine couple, I know them both, and they're friends, and, and she said, that, called her husband by name, said he just went berserk last night, and, and it's been this way all through our marriage, and I can't understand it, and, uh, and if something doesn't work out, we're just through. I said, well, do you think he would talk to me? She said, well, he would, but probably won't be honest. He said, I, she said, I've never heard him get honest with anybody talking about us, and so... I said, well, if he'll talk, you call me back. And so a little while later, she called back, and uh, they came to, to our house that afternoon, to my house that afternoon. And so I was talking with them in the living room, and I said, now look, let's, let's just get honest about this whole thing. And in the back of my mind now was what I was learning about the principle of receiving. And so I said, all right, now, uh, George, what's the situation? What's the problem? He said, well, she's just dumb. He said, I'm amazed that she could live with me as long as she has lived and not be any more intelligent than she is. And I felt like he was getting on it. I, he said, uh, in essence, she's a big, dumb, fat slob. That's what he said, right in her presence. And uh, I figured if that wasn't honest, uh, it wasn't such a thing as honesty. And uh, I sort of looked over at her to check and see if he was being honest. And uh, uh, she indicated that he was. And uh, I... Uh, I listened for a while, and then I said, you know, I have it. He's never really received her. Therefore, she has been bound into a pattern of rejection and, and reaction, and she's lost any, any, any power to be what she ought to be to him because he's never received her. And so I just thought I'd try something, you know. I said, Lord, you, you help me out. This is a shot in the dark as far as an untried, unproved principle is concerned, but I think there's something to it. I said, George, uh, did y'all get married in a church or by a JP? He said, we got married by a preacher in a church. I said, uh, did the preacher ask you, do you, uh, do you take this woman? Uh, and he said, well, I guess you did. I said, what did you say? He said, I said, I do. I said, you lied, didn't you? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I mean this. You, you took her, uh, but you, you never really did receive her uh, as your wife. He said, what do you mean? I said, uh, well, I mean, you've never, uh, you've never accepted her. You've never received her. He said, what are you talking about? We've been married 20 some years and I've been paying the bills all the time. I said, that's hardly what I mean. And I began to share this principle with him. I said, now listen, let me tell you that God wasn't surprised when you two got together. He wasn't shocked at all. In fact, he put you two together. 
And he could have kept it from happening if he'd have wanted to. And so he picked her out for you and you out for her and he put you together. Now, while you said it with your lips, you never meant it with your heart. You never really received her. You were saying, well, now I'm going to get her, I'm going to get her straightened out and then one day I will receive her. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, uh, get her to lose enough weight and get her to, to be a little more intelligent, uh, intelligent after she's lived with me long enough. And then I'll get her straightened out and then I'll receive her. I said, now, George, I want to tell you something. I said, she is either God's gift to you or you're going to have to acknowledge an awful mistake. I said, do you feel like God brought you two together? He said, oh, I'm, I'm convinced of it. He said, well, do you mean, I said, do you mean then that, that she is in the will of God, your wife? He said, well, yes, I, I believe that. I said, do you love her? He said, yeah, I love her. I said, but George, you have never really received her as a gift from God. Because I've heard you since we've been here gripe about what God has given you. And uh, I said, I, I want to tell you something. I heard somebody say this, and it stuck in my mind, and uh, it's a way of saying it that you won't forget. God don't give no junk. And I said, George, God don't give no junk. And you've been accusing God of giving you junk. Now, I said, it's one thing for you to stand on the human level and gripe about the seeming imperfections in your wife. But it's another thing to take a gift from the hands of God and say, God, you didn't lie. You didn't tell me the truth. You lied to me. The Bible says every good and perfect gift cometh from above. Well, now, there was a protest in his mind and mine as he came back to say, but my wife's not perfect. I said, in whose eyes is she not perfect? Well, he said, she's not perfect in my eyes. I said, well, you've been looking through the wrong eyes. I want you to know that God has given you your wife and she has come from God to be God's perfect gift to you. You say, but she's not perfect. Again, I ask, in whose eyes is she not perfect? I want you to know, now just agree with me or disagree with me one way or another. It'd be better that you disagree and, and go on than to, than to, uh, than to just agree half-heartedly and, and hypocritically because, you see, this principle is going to back you in a corner this morning. You're either going to have to go away uh, with some truth, miserable, or you're going to have to react. You're going to have to respond affirmatively and get some things done you haven't done. I, I, I said, uh, uh, and I'll let you respond too, did Jesus Christ get what he went out to get at Calvary or didn't he? Did he succeed on Calvary? Did he fail? All right. Did he have in mind bringing children, bringing sons, like God, to the Father, and did not he have as a purpose conforming us perfectly to his image? Did he or did he not? All right? Now, he sees the end from the beginning. And the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, we are accepted among the beloved. We are looked upon by God, the holy God of heaven, as holy and without blame before him in love. He sees the end from the beginning and loves us on that basis. You are to God holy and without blame. Now he deals with you in the process of becoming, but he knows how it's going to turn out. Now I guarantee you if you'll take a look at your wife or husband through those eyes and see the finished work 
and not see what you see with your physical eyes and wonder whether it's ever going to turn out all right or not. It will change your attitude towards your wife or towards your husband. Now, what I'm meaning to say is this. You can receive her on the same basis that God has received her. He sees the end from the beginning, and he said, I accept her as perfect, holy, and without blame before me in love. Now, if God's done that, I can do that. That's what Paul was meaning when he said, look, brethren, receive one another, even as Christ, to the glory of God, has received you. Why has Christ received us? Has he received us on the basis that we're perfect? Why, I think not. What, what, what basis has he received us on? He has received us on the basis that what he worked to get on Calvary, he got. And the moment you became redeemed, you became everything that he made you to become. On your side, it is becoming. On God's side, it is already done. And he sees the finished product from the beginning. Now, I want to tell you, you look at your wife, you look at your husband through the eyes of God, you're going to see a different sight. And you're not going to fuss about it and gripe about it. And when you do, let me tell you what you're doing. When you are complaining about a fault in your, in your wife or your child or your parent or your fellow church member or the fellow body member, you are accusing God of telling a lie. And I want to tell you, the further you chase this principle right on down, after a while I'll come to body membership to where uh, no wonder the church can't get up and go anywhere. Its body, so ponderous, is filled with members that haven't received each other. They've rejected each other. They've accused each other. No wonder there's chaos in families. Family members have not received each other as gifts from God. And by this time, poor George is on the couch, just almost in apoplexy. Uh, he said, he said, go on. He said, I think I'm getting it. I said, well, the fact is, George, that if she's God's gift to you, she's absolutely perfect. She's so perfect, in fact, that her seeming imperfections are geared to work on imperfections in you. God's given such a perfect gift that everything about that gift has been given you to work on something in you. And you've never received her and released her to be what she was made of God to become. And you've tied her into conditions that you don't like by giving confession to them. And the word of, and the power of the spoken word has bound her to being sloppy and not liking homework and, and being, uh, not receptive to you. I said, you've done this. And I, I continued to explain the principle and directly he just said, oh. I said, what's wrong? He said, why hadn't somebody told me this? I said, well, I don't know. I know why I haven't told you. I just found it out myself. I said, but uh, he, he said, he said, you mean this is true? I said, absolutely true. I said, this is a principle in the Bible. Old Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I receive her as a part of me. My responsibility, my means of being completed. Without her, I don't have all my bones. I don't have all my flesh. I'm not, I'm not completed without her. And I said, uh, I knew that the Holy Spirit is moving, and I said, uh, George, uh, are you willing to receive her as a gift from God? And I said, listen, I want to tell you that God's done such a marvelous thing in marriage that he has chosen people and put people together, and he had their betterment in mind at every point. He knows that here's a woman that, that has a, a little area of imperfection, and here's a man that has another area of imperfection, and he not only puts them together, but he puts them together so that even their idiosyncrasies, their, their faults, their seeming imperfections, can work on a fault or a flaw in the other one. And you haven't begun to see the glories of marriage till you can look at that wife and, and maybe she's slow. Maybe she's so slow you've confirmed the fact that she's going to be slow 
laid at her own funeral. You've probably said it. And every time you've said it, you've made her slower. You've bound her into slowness. She's never going to be any better because you've confessed her being slow. And you've rejected her at that point. Now, when you begin to ask a question like this, your life will begin to change. You're going to say, well, now, Lord, she's a perfect gift from, from you. And you wouldn't pull a dirty trick like that on me. And let me wait half my life waiting on that woman. Now, it's bound to be that you're trying to say something to me through that. And so, Lord, what is it that you're trying to get to me uh, about by her being always late? And the Lord says, why, son, you're the most impatient person I've ever seen, and I have put her with you with that particular trait to get you to where you can just wait on me. And when, listen, and when, uh, when that works on you and it has its ministry in you, the Lord will probably deliver her from being late. But why should God deliver her when it hasn't had its ministry in you yet? Now, are you beginning to see what I mean? Let me just go on and, and, and try to go deeper into it because this is a thing that's so, uh, this is a thing that's not in my mind. I just almost have to completely depend on God to reveal it while I'm standing here and, and I have to know you're kind of with me before we can go on. Let me go on to just ask. Now, how many of you have ever noticed that God has put the strangest of combinations together? Now, this is where we have to just make a rule that we don't have any jabbing in the ribs or pinching at this point between husband and wife. But have you ever noticed how many times God has put a man who is absolutely the most uncommunicative creature you've ever seen with a woman who feels like time is wasted uh, when the air isn't filled with the sound of her voice? Have you ever, have you ever found it to be so? Now why would God pull a trick like that? Uh, God pulled a trick like that on me. I was mad for 20 years about it. I said, now Lord, you know, I grew up on the farm and I, I'd, I'd rather go out in the, in the, in the woods and out in, out in the pasture and just be alone. And I married a woman that talks and talks and talks and I just love her. And she just talks and, and, uh, and you know what I realized? God gave me just exactly what I needed. Because if he hadn't give me, given me the kind of woman he gave me, I would never have become communicative. I, I just didn't like to communicate. Oh, I preach, but I, I just uh, didn't particularly like to communicate. And my wife, God has used her to force me into being an expressive and communicative person. I never would have become otherwise. But do you know when God delivered her from being just talkative, just absolutely uh, a chronic talker? When I realized that what God gave her to me for was to render me communicative. And God delivered her. Now she can afford to be quiet and listen to me. Listen to It's marvelous what has happened. Now what happened? I received her as God's perfect gift. What I didn't like in her I even received. I didn't understand it. And when I realized that that was God's way of getting in, uh, getting at me in an area where I needed help. Well now you can just, you can let your imagination run wild. Have you ever noticed how many times God put a, a perfectionist and, and, and a person, he fell in love with somebody who was just about a, a two or three degrees to the left of sloppy. I mean, put those two together. Wasn't that a trick? And here was a fellow who was so proud in his, in his punctuality and so proud in his, in his perfectionism. And here was a woman that, that just can't get one foot in front of the other, can't get two things organized, and it just wears him out. He said, Lord, why? And instead of rejecting her, he comes to a time when he says, Lord, I receive her. Uh, you're bound to have something to say about all this in me. And God says, yes, I do. You are finding your God in, in being punctual and perfect. 
You need some of the informality that I brought to you and your wife. You need to relax, sir, and enjoy life and enjoy love. And you see, you see, God has put you together to perfect you. And you haven't begun to see the glories of marriage until you begin to see that marriage is God's great frame-up to get you ready for heaven. And many of you have never received your wife. You're still griping about equality in her, which means you haven't received her. Many of you have never received your husband. You will never be happy, you say, about that quality in him. Why does that quality exist? God let it exist so he could minister to something in you, and he's never going to get delivered until you receive him. Transparent honesty. Now, I'm just not deliberately dishonest, but I don't have to tell everything I know. And so if I've got something against somebody, I can pretty well hide it. I don't particularly uh, like to act friendly toward them, but I can, I can hide it. But my wife demands transparent honesty. And my background was such that I needed exactly what she was. And you know what? When I received her, when I really unqualifiedly received her as God's perfect gift, not only perfect in his sight, but so perfect that everything I thought was a flaw in her was geared to minister to something in me, that's when she became released to be everything that I'd always wanted and needed and never had because I'd developed a pattern of rejection. And I'm looking on the faces of folks today who never suspicioned that there was an area of rejection in your life toward your wife or toward your husband or toward your children or toward your parents. Now, let me go on to say that first of all, we must receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Secondly, we must learn to receive ourselves. Now, I realize, and I've preached it all over this country, that we must recognize, reckon ourselves to be dead. But we've not said it all until we come back to say, though I reckon myself dead, something is still alive. I'm still up here. I'm still up here with arms and legs and eyes and and, and teeth and nose and ears and I'm, I'm still here. I'm still an identity. And, and we have preached the negative crucified with Christ until we've got some people walking around not knowing what and who they are. Now let's get straight once and for all that there is an old self that has to be reckoned dead. That old unredeemable, irreparable, incorrigible self has to be reckoned dead at Calvary. But there is a new self alive and that's the Christ in you self. And so while on the negative side we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, we on the other hand reckon ourselves to be alive unto God through Christ. And so I face this new self. This new Christ indwelt. Christ reigned over self. This, this spirit filled self. And so I receive me. I don't run around saying I'm no good. The old eye that's on the cross is no good, but why should I be talking about somebody dead? The I that is in Jesus Christ is alive because of him. I draw my strength from him. I don't have to run around showing folks how humble I am, saying I ain't no good and I can't do anything. That's not humility, that's stupidity. And don't mistake humility for stupidity. I must receive myself. I receive this new self as a gift from God, this Christ in me self. This Christ life in me, living in this body. Now I still have, a, have an identity as Jack Taylor. I can't run around decrying, deriding, ridiculing, uh, debasing him. 
Now you know what I am and I know what I am, but why waste time on an old dead self? I am alive in Jesus Christ, therefore I can receive me. And I find if I don't receive me, I can't receive anybody. And when I see somebody that's rejecting and rebelling and resenting, I know one thing, they've not really come to gracefully receive themselves. Accept yourself. You say, I can't. Well, let Jesus work it over. Get in it. Take it over. Then you can accept that self. Listen, I had the awfulest time accepting myself until I came to the idea that Jesus Christ is my new self and my identity with him. I, I can respect that. I can respect that person and I can receive that person. You know what I do? I just want to receive everybody. I just want to receive everybody. I don't want to reject people. See? All right, now just follow me along. Now, are you coming with me? Some of you I left back there about ten minutes ago, I feel like. Are you with me? Are you beginning to see? Not if you're beginning to see the principle of receiving. Do you see? Okay. Now, I, I began to see it back to George. I said, George, are you? would you be willing to receive this woman as a gift from God? He said, yeah, I sure would. And I, I looked at her and I said, now you've rejected him on the basis that he's rejected you because rejection breeds rejection. She said, that's right. I said, would you receive him? We have an altar in our home. A you know, our family altar is not just a, a time and a place, but it's a piece of furniture. And, and uh, there's a drawing of it in the book. And I, I would urge you to get a piece of furniture. It's a family altar. You say, oh, I don't know about that. Well, let me tell you. Uh, you have a bed in your house? How many of you have beds in your house? Oh, some of you don't. Well, I, mean, I know what you're thinking. You think, well, we don't have to have a family altar to pray. Well, you don't have to have a bed to sleep, but it helps. See? You don't have to have a table to eat at, but it helps. You don't have to have a chair to sit down, but it helps. You don't have to have a piece of furniture, an altar, to pray, but I want to tell you it helps. Right to the right of the entrance of our house. We just bought a, bought a new place. It's our praise the Lord place. They thought they built that for a little, little uh, dining area. But it's a little step down, right to the right. And as you open the door and the, and the chimes sing, Bless this house, O Lord, we pray. Right to the right is an altar. And the whole little room is just an altar with all the centerpieces and all of the furniture. Uh, and it calls to prayer. And so whenever people come in the front door, leave the front door, there's the altar calling us to pray. And we just kneel at the altar and pray. And I said, let's go to the altar. Well, we just slipped across the living room to the altar. And I said, George, do you take this woman? as God's gift to you, perfect and perfecting. Do you receive her as God's perfect gift to you? And he said, I sure do. She said, I said to you, to her, I said, do you receive him as a, as a gift from God to you? And, and we went through that. And, and you know, I, I talked with him before I left. In fact, the day I left, he said, Jack, I've never had anything in all my life. Nothing. No revelation in all my life that's changed our home. And changed my life. He said for 22 years. I rejected my wife. But I want to tell you. God has made her a brand new woman. Everything about her is different. She tells me the same thing about him. And everywhere this has been shared. And you know I got to thinking. I got to thinking. That, that's what happened to me. And Barbara. When that night several years ago. We gave ourselves to each other. And you see, you can't give yourself to each other without receiving each other. And so we received each other and we liberated each other to become to each what we needed exactly. And then I began to think, boy, this is wonderful. I think I'll just, I'll see if it works in other places.
And so I said, how about my children? How about my children? And I began to think about my son and my daughter. I've got one of each one. Tammy is soon be 16 and Timmy is 14. And uh, boy, they're a joy to me. Our first little boy was born in 1956 on a Friday. I just called everybody in the world I could think of like a phone business would uh, just... Uh, there wouldn't be any phones the next day. I just called everybody. Went to the hospital the next day and couldn't find my boy. And uh, they had him down in another place. And uh, I went into the room and my wife was crying. And she said, honey, talk to the doctor. And the doctor talked with me and said, uh, the boy has, has uh, with a speedy birth, with a rapid birth, has developed an injury in the seat of breathing, and frankly, there's not much hope. And I said, is that right, doctor? He said, yes. And so we went through the trauma of saying, God, for these months we prayed, your will be done. And uh, on uh, Monday at four o'clock in the morning, having said, God, take him out of pain if he's knowing pain, watching him breathe until my own chest was sore, I watched my son die. And uh, for two years, our empty arms and my wife's, my wife's motherly instinct suffered. Wanting that child wasn't easy. And then there came a day, the boy died at four o'clock on July 30th, 1956. And then one morning in the hospital in San Antonio, Tammy came, four o'clock in the morning, July the 30th, two years from the very hour. And I tell you, when she came home, I held her on a pillow all day long. Just worshipped her. She's a big teenager now. She still fits in my arms. And I thought, I took her out to eat here a while back. And as we sat over Chinese food, I said, honey, I love you. You know, I think I'd like you, even if you weren't my daughter. You're just that kind of girl. Boy, I love her. And I got to thinking, man, when I went through the form of just receiving her as a gift from God. And I do that every day now. And they're precious. I receive, and you know what? When I receive them, I liberate them to be to me everything they ought to be. And I'm liberated to be to them as they receive me. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think it'll ever be any different. I've defied the devil and stood the angels around my children. He doesn't have to get to them. And every day in our praying, I call home every morning at 7.30, wherever I am. Anywhere in the world, I call them and we have prayer together. And I just go through the joy of receiving my, my daughter as God's gift to me. God's gift to me. He knew what I needed. He just, he, he not only had, uh, me in mind as her father, but he had her in mind and my needs. And my daughter feels a need in my life. And when I receive her, I liberate her to be all that she's supposed to be to me. I need her. And then I've got a son, 14. What a boy. Everybody needs just one boy like him. Nobody needs two like him, but everybody needs one. He never goes by day, but what he tells his daddy, I love you, daddy. And he means it with all of his heart. He was going to come with me. Uh, as we often go together, he's been to Washington with me, and uh, my daughter's been to Arizona with me, and he's been to Florida with me. We we just uh, go around the country, have a glorious time, and uh, I, I got beat out by the first ball game of the season last night, and yet we received each other.
And you know, a tremendous joy in just receiving my children. And teaching my children what it is to receive me as a gift from God. Daddy, you're God's gift of authority to me. As I began to trace this principle right on down, I thought, well, you know, I've got, I've got a dad and mom. I don't live at home anymore. But I just began to recount, you know, God gave me my mom and dad. A lot of things I didn't like about what dad did. He whipped me pretty tough. When I was a senior in high school, he took a, he took a rubber hose to me and, I mean, wore me out. I was marked for the next month. I didn't like it, but I never think about it now. But what I love my daddy more than ever before, because I know he didn't do that. He wasn't mad. He often whipped us when he was mad. But that day he wasn't mad. He had time to think about it, and he carried through. And I know it hurt him. And I love him the more. And you know, I just said, Lord, I want to receive my parents again as gifts from you. I praise you that of all the parents in the world, you picked out them to be my parents, my dad and mom. And I've seen them turn on to the Lord, especially dad, sharing some things with me about himself, coming to be honest with the Lord and living for the Lord. What a joy. And, and as we've received each other at a new level, we've been freed to be to each other, even in these days, more than we've ever been before. And I began to think, 25 years now separate us from the time when we children had such a time on the farm. Two brothers, two sisters. And I said, you know, time has separated us. And they're in their own business and I in mine. But they're still my brothers, my sisters. And I can receive them as gifts from God and, and liberate them to be to me all they ought to be. And I can be to them what they ought to have in a brother. What a beautiful word, brother, sister. I have two of each. Some don't have any of any. And I just praise the Lord for it. I had such a big time. I just went on, see, to see if this principle would, would reveal itself effective in other areas. And I thought, well, you know, if children would receive their parents as gifts from God, and parents would receive their children as gifts from God, and even the, the little differences could be looked upon as God's call to get more involved with one another, opportunities to get more in love and more productive with one another, instead of a reason to divide and separate. And a dad could say to his son and daughter, I receive you as God's perfect gift to me, and I want to be to you everything God called me to be. Receive me and I receive you and husbands receiving wives and wives receiving husbands and brothers receiving brothers and sisters and sisters receiving brothers and sisters and, and then I thought boy I've had such a big time this is a marvelous experience and then I thought well how about the church this is the great big body of Christ now there's some of my folks I like less than others I have to admit that like some of them I just think I could almost do without sometimes tell you the truth but Paul says, look, let no member of the body say of another, I have no need of you. God set members in this body. Some seem less likely to be productive than others, like the members of the body, their hands and feet and eyes and hearing and all the gifts make up all of the body here and there and everywhere. But I just had a time receiving people. Just in my spirit, going in the spirit to this person and 
and, and saying, God, I, I, I really don't understand it, but I receive that person as a gift from you. Some of them you're using as heavenly sandpaper. Some of them you're using to keep me straight and to keep me honest. And I receive them as gifts from you. And you know what? I'm noticing that God's making a difference in their lives. And I, I tell you, now, my, uh, my wife's mother, I knew the first time I saw her that she had tremendous, tremendous mental problems. Totally rejected as a child. Uh, my uh, in-laws were divorced and my wife was very young. And, uh, and I saw what God had done in the power of receiving love in my own wife as she came to settle in security she never had and love a home she never, she never had before. And we, and, and for a while, it, we were forced to keep her mother in our home. Her mother was uh, such a woman that had been rejected that she rejected everybody and everything around her. And uh, she was the kind of person who could walk into a room where there were several other persons and have everybody fighting each other in five minutes without saying a word. There was just an atmosphere of rejection that exuded from her, that nestled and hovered over her. And uh, it just about, just about drove us crazy. We put her in an asylum four or five straight times to no avail. And one day, one day, we began to see the transforming power of receiving love. My mother-in-law was at my house when I left. She was with us when I was taken to the airport uh, Thursday. She's the sweetest woman in town transformed by the power of receiving love. She knows she's loved. And my, my uh, father-in-law has had an awful time, but we've watched the power of receiving love transform his life. And it just, it, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Now, body members, you're members of the body of Jesus. Now, there's nothing that tells me that every little uh, segment of the body of Christ has to have all of the qualities of the whole body. And so we all make up the body of Christ. We need each other. Baptists need the Methodists. And the Methodists need the Lutherans. And all of us need each other. And you see, the work of the devil is to cause schisms in the body. And if there's somebody you're not receiving, you're a part of the devil's plan to divide, deceive, delude the church. I don't mean we have to get together and have fellowship and let everybody's doctrine be ours until nobody's doctrine uh, is, is distinct. But I do mean that we need each other. We need each other. Let me ask you a question. Husband, have you uh, received your wife? I mean really unqualifiedly received her. Or are you still griping about something that isn't quite straight in her? Do you know when God's going to straighten that out and deliver her? When that thing in her ministers so completely in you that it has done everything God intended it to do. 
Have you received your husband? I mean really acknowledged him as a gift from God. You say, my husband's not even a spiritual Christian. Didn't say anything about that. He's still God's gift to you. Well, my husband's not even saved. He's still God's gift to you. You say, God wouldn't do me like that. Well, if you will by faith receive your husband in behalf of Jesus Christ, you'll able to see him get saved long before you think. Have you got a neighbor you never have received? Say, listen, as long as you are rejecting anybody, any circumstance, you are rebelling against God. You are saying, God, you didn't tell me the truth. I don't believe all things do work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Is there somebody you haven't received? Let me ask you, son or daughter, have you really received mom and dad as a gift from God? They are. And boy, if you want to mess up good, you just reject them. As God's gift. Immediately you tear out from under the protection of authority. Where the devil is running rampant. And you are at his mercy. Why don't you just accept mom and dad as God's gift to you? Maybe you don't understand it. But maybe you believe it enough to say, God, I know that's right. My son and daughter are just at the age and have been at the age for a long time where... You know, they like to scuffle and fight. But we talked this thing over. You know, we scuffled as kids when we were young. But I said, listen, kids. As you reject one another, accuse one another, you're accusing God. Because you, Tammy, and you, Timmy, are God's gifts to each other. And you ought to be so thrilled that God gave Tammy a Timmy and Timmy a Tammy. Have you received your brothers and sisters really received them? Have you received your children? Oh, listen, it's so easy to get to living together in such presumption and such uh, thoughtlessness that we really don't sit down and say, Boy, what a great thing God has done. I'm so glad God gave me this family. I'm so thrilled to be in this family. I just want to receive this family to the glory of God. The power of receiving. Do you know a sinner? A sinner that's so rebellious. Why don't you go to that sinner and say, Friend, God's given me the authority and love to come say to you, I love you. I receive you in behalf of Jesus. And God has set churches in this community to be outstretched arms in the name of Jesus, receiving people. But if you reject people, you're the arms of Christ. If you reject them, nobody's going to receive them. Is there somebody you haven't received? Receive you one another. As God, for Christ's sake, has received you. I believe God's spoken to you this morning. And I just believe there may be a few people here this morning 
upon whom God is moving just to make an honest, an honest confession and validate, validate the principle of receiving right in this very place. And he's spoken to you. And he's spoken to you in such a manner that you know you can't leave this place and be consistent without without nailing it down that this morning you willfully choose to receive somebody whom perhaps without knowing you have rejected the power of receiving. Maybe it's yourself you've never accepted. Listen, do you know that when you keep on criticizing and deriding yourself, you know who you're talking about? God. If you've given yourself to God, if you're indwelt by Him, you stop belittling yourself. You receive yourself. And then you, having received yourself, can receive others. I wonder how many here today would have to say, you know, in my life there's some patterns of rejection. And I want to break free today. I want to willfully begin to receive and not reject. Let me give you just one little formula. Reception brings release and liberty. Rejection brings resistance, confusion, rebellion, and disorder. You're walking out of here today when we're through, dominated by either reception or rejection. I pray today you will break clear and be a receiver in the name of Jesus. This is your service. If God said something to you that needs to be said aloud, you will know it immediately. It may be that you need to stand up and and say something. It may be that you need quietly to slip by somebody's side and say, Boy, I'm receiving you to the glory of God. Just go to wait a minute. Nobody be forced. This is just your time. Has God spoken to you? If so, for the next minutes, as God has spoken, we let you allow God to come into this service from where you are.